I sell forbidden books at a dingy shop that disappears. My name is Andrea and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. Ahoy, my dear shit shows. For any new listeners, I'm Andrea. I'm the biggest shit show of them all. And I have an announcement to make. I, I've been on this adult child bandwagon that this is like a silent epidemic that um that no one's talking about. Well, I have a new one. And I guess this isn't so new, but I'm I'm really feeling it. There is a sense of humor epidemic going on, y'all. Okay? <laughs> there, there are some people who really need to take the stick out of their ass. Let me tell you. So I posted this reel yesterday. I'll include the link in the show notes if you want to go look. I posted this on Instagram. And so this was just like a, you know, you can ch- take other people's audios and make make videos out of them. And so let me, let me play this for you so you can hear, uh, hear what, um, what the audio is. I really just let a medium ugly man make me sit here all day wondering if he's going to text me. What's wrong with me? One more time, just in case you missed that. I really just let a medium ugly man make me sit here all day wondering if he's going to text me. What's wrong with me? I am appalled I am appalled that so many people thought that that was serious. Or should I be, I don't know. Are there people that really would put that, say that and be serious? I guess what's, I don't know what's more appalling. That so many people can't realize that that's a joke. Or that so many people think that somebody would actually say that seriously or that somebody would say that seriously. I'm just curious. But um, yeah, you would not believe the um, <laughs> all the comments I got. I definitely st- struck a chord with, um, I think, some of the medium ugly folks out there. But my favorite, my favorite insult that I received, truly, this is genius. And I'm not being sarcastic right now. This is like one of the, the best... I guess, insults ever. He said, medium ugly, he's above your level. You look like you'd sell forbidden books in a dingy shop that disappears. (laughs) And I replied, I said, I got to be honest, I'm kind of loving that description. I'm going to use that uh, when I introduce myself in my podcast episode this week. So again, my name is Andrea and um, I'm a shit show and I sell forbidden books in a dingy shop that disappears. I am a Harry Potter... Harry Potty. I'm a Harry... <laughs> I'm a Harry Potty. I am a Harry Potty... <laughs> I did it again. I am a Harry Potter... Potter... Whore. And so that sounds like some Harry Potter shit to me. So I'm into it. But yes, it is so concerning, folks, how serious everybody is, okay? And that's why... That's why, you know, partially why I created this podcast, because we need to be able to laugh, right? We need to be able to talk about vulnerable shit, and we also need to be able to laugh at our shit. So if you're new to Adult Child, welcome. This is where we talk about shit, serious shit, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? Um, okay. 
moving it along. So today we are diving deep with returning guest, uh, Dr. Morgan. She is the host of the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast. She's a psychologist. She is uh, an attachment theory expert. She recently just had uh, her first book come out. It's called Love Magnet. And we're talking about all things dating, attachment style. Uh, she's gonna, we're talking about dating apps some. We're talking about disorganized attachment some. So it's a nice little potpourri for you all. I think we got a, a wide variety of, of topics that are covered. I'm assuming that everybody listening is, is familiar with attachment theory, but just in case somebody is not... So there's four four attachment styles, right? So we got secure attachment, which I'm not going to describe because <laughs> nobody that's listening right now has that. Or um, if, if you are, you're listening to the wrong podcast. <laughs> uh, but for, this, for the sake of everyone listening, we're probably either anxious, avoidant, or, or disorganized. And I think the simplest way for me to put this is anxious is come close, uh, avoidant is go away, and disorganized is come close but go away at the same time. (laughs) And so anxious attachers, this is typically the result of growing up in a home where your parents' emotional availability to you was inconsistent. So sometimes they were there for you and sometimes they were not there for you. What this results in is typically people who uh, desire to be in a relationship uh, and tend to give a lot into a relationship. They They tend to settle, ignore red flags, and do whatever it takes to make a relationship work, even when it's a shit relationship. And so then avoidant attachment is typically the result of a parent who is not available most of the time or a parent who is most of the time rejecting uh, the emotional needs of their child. And so this results in people being uh, very suspicious of relationships and intimacy in general. So they tend to put a lot of distance between themselves and a partner. Uh, Their relationships don't go past surface level. And when they feel threatened, they tend to uh, withdraw from the situation. Whereas with anxious, when they feel threatened, they tend to draw closer to the partner. And so then we have disorganized. Uh, And the way that that's typically described is the result of experiencing trauma during childhood. But I would say that with anxious and avoidant, there's obviously trauma going on there too. Or when you have a parent who has unresolved trauma. Uh, but with with disorganized, there is both a desire for and a fear of relationships and intimacy, intimacy uh, simultaneously. So like I said, come close, but also go away at the same time. And when they feel threatened in the relationship, well, who the hell knows what they're going to do? <laughs> who the hell knows? So they show signs of both anxious and avoidant attachment. Uh, But I asked Morgan about this specifically, and her answer is very interesting. So 
just, you have to, you have to wait to hear that. But here is the good news, y'all. There is such a thing as earned secure attachment. Emphasis on earned. How do we do this? This adult child recovery work, like essentially in a nutshell, this work that we're doing as adult children is moving us towards that earned attachment style. So, sorry, earned secure attachment style. So it is, you know, resolving, looking at our unresolved and unprocessed trauma, connecting our past to the present, learning coping skills, and most importantly, learning how to have safe and intimate relationships with others. So just as attachment is disrupted in relationships, attachment is repaired through relationships. And that's why I keep harping on you about damn the join Patreon, because this is relational trauma that we're dealing with. And so it is through relationships, safe relationships, that we heal it. And obviously, starting with a therapist is wonderful, but we do need to go beyond that. We do need to learn to have, you know, to have friends and other relationships, especially with people who understand what it is that we're going through. So what a beautiful little segue into telling you to damn the join Patreon, which is where I host three weekly Zoom support groups with an amazing group of people whom I love dearly. And this is just a place where it is so safe for you to share all the shit that you feel shame about or embarrassed about because we're all like, yep, been there, did that an hour ago, did that tomorrow. <laughs> so damn the join Patreon, okay? Patreon.com slash adult child. You're missing out if you don't join. Uh, next, give me a little follow on the Insta, on the TikTok, only if you have a fucking sense of humor though, okay? Only if you are not offended by uh, the medium ugly. <laughs> and last but not least, Give me a damn five-star review on Apple, on Spotify. I want, can somebody please leave me a review that says that you really like shopping at my uh, dingy bookstore where that disappears, where I sell forbidden books, please? Begging you. Thanks. One more thing I forgot to mention. So apparently my microphone was not connected to my computer during this interview. So it kind of sounds like um, I'm, I'm in another room underwater. <laughs> I did my best to make it sound as best as I could. It's fully comprehensible. It's just not the best uh, quality on my end. So I apologize. Uh, all right, guys. Returning guest, friend of the pod, Dr. Morgan, host of Let's Get Vulnerable. And let's get vulnerable, lady. <laughs> You always make me get vulnerable, so I'm, I'm ready for it. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm going to put the link to our first episode in the show notes, guys. So if you want to go hear her story in depth, but I thought we could just give like a little like recap. So what are you, mom, and then the relationship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my trauma in a nutshell. Um, okay, so... <laughs> I I lost my mom at, at a young age. It was completely unexpected. Um, I was six years old 
And after that, just kind of witnessed my dad go through a lot of um, different dating and different relationships. And she had an allergic reaction to what was it like? What was it? Teflon? Yeah. So it was um, latex, latex, which, which actually there's a 2020 episode about yeah, my I tried family. To find it. It's from the nineties. Um, but yeah, so we didn't know that she was allergic to latex. She had gone to help my cousin who was sick and she put on a latex glove. And then we lived out in the country. She started having the allergic reaction um, like later that night and essentially like the paramedics just couldn't get there in time and she lost air supply to her brain um, and she had a traumatic brain injury and she essentially was at a, a vegetative state for 20 years so when I was 26 she passed away um, so it's one of those complicated bereavement is what they call it I, I always feel like I lost my mom twice. There was the initial time. And then when I was 26 and obviously it was a, so much for my family to handle. It was so hard on my family. My dad did the best he could. Um, and there was ways that he failed my twin sister and I, that, that, that's what we say about our parents. They do the best they can. And there's ways that they fail us. And there were ways that he failed me. Um, and I know that's from his own childhood, but essentially I had this pattern of always dating emotionally unavailable people. And I'm I so did glad it. That you could talk about that because nobody, nobody listening, like has ever experienced that. I mean, everyone listening to this podcast is like, like relationship Jedis. <laughs> yeah. You guys have never heard of this before. No. <laughs> it's this thing where you try to get people to love you and then when they're, <laughs> When they're emotionally unavailable, you just try harder. It's so great. <laughs> that sounds fun. <laughs> right? Yeah. So so did that. And then I'm getting my doctorate in clinical psychology. And I kind of felt like the universe was like, okay, you've been doing this over and over. Do you really want to do this for the rest of your life? And I started dating a narcissist right? I didn't know it for the first six months, first six months, love bombed. I was flying all over. I was getting gifts. I was telling people I'd met my Prince Charming. I was planning a wedding. Um, and then the rest of it, like the whole other year, it was a year and a half. Um, the rest of it was a nightmare and it was just control. I was completely isolated. There was emotional abuse. And then towards the end, some physical abuse, and that was my rock bottom, which I think Talk I talked about, about that last the last night. Yeah, my my absolute rock bottom was I was um, put a into car? a car. Yeah, we were at a strip club. He he had told me he was at a bar. It turns out it was a strip club. So you can imagine I walk in. He's got like this naked girl like on. Wait, his did he tell you to meet you there, or you like? Yeah. He, okay. he told me because he was like, I'm completely drunk. I'm going to kill myself if I drive right now. So you need to come get me. And I was like, well, I don't want him to die. So he told me it was a bar. I show up. It's a strip club. And so I'm immediately triggered, right? I like see this like girl on his lap and I run out. I run out of the building. Um, he chases me to the parking lot and 
puts me in the car with him and he's drunk and he's saying, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to drive us off a bridge right now. Um, and luckily there was a bystander and they called the police and I, I thanked that guy. I actually wrote him a thank you letter because he basically saved my life. He called the police. He, and he got a DUI and I got to file a police report the next day. And, And that's when I was at my lowest point. I was laying in the lobby of my apartment building because I could not stand. I was in so much emotional pain. I'm like, sobbing on the floor in the lobby my neighbors are just walking by like what's wrong with her and I'm I'm filing this police report and I just like had that moment where I said I can not do this anymore I want to at least figure out what it is to have a healthy relationship like I want to understand it even if I can't do it for myself I commit to learning everything I can and that's what I did I um, put put my research all into attachment theory, healthy relationship. I had heard about attachment theory in Psych 101. A lot of people do, but I didn't have the depth of knowledge, obviously, because I don't know if people know this, but not all psychologists understand attachment theory. It's not required learning, which blows my mind. Well, it's the same thing with like complex trauma. Exactly. So I had to do my own, I essentially just did my own research while I was in graduate school and just devoted my, my time to that and applied it to all the couples therapy and all the clinical work I was doing. And here we are. (laughs) And now, and I want to say the happy ending. I'm in a healthy, great relationship. We're on two years now. I I love myself. I have high self-worth, you know, I mean, I'm not like perfect. Nobody is obviously. Um, but I'm a, I'm a completely different person than that version of me that was on the floor in my hotel lobby or my apartment building lobby. What has been, um, has there been, what has been the most challenging point in this relationship or what was a point in which your, um, you know, your anxious attachment reared its ugly head the most Two. it's happened twice. Um, the, so we started out as long distance and you guys dated in the past, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was that before you dated the narcissist or after? Before. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, essentially like when we were long distance, of course I was feeling so triggered because it's so hard when you're long distance to get that reassurance and really feel emotionally safe, but he was so good. He's, you know, offered me so much reassurance, so much support, but it happened when I was moving in with him in Florida, he had flown out to Montana, got this U-Haul helping me load all my stuff up. And I was already feeling like so uncomfortable. He's doing all this stuff for me. Like, like some of my stuff was like, am I worthy of this? You know, it just felt like I was making a big commitment and and we were having our, our relationship go to the next level. And with anxious attachment, you do get really emotionally dysregulated around those points in the relationship where the connection's deepening. So we were at, we were at our hotel, we're driving across the country, which is already stressful. Can you imagine Montana, Florida with my two dogs, a freaking U-Haul? 
Um, we're driving across the country. We're at a hotel. I'm emotionally dysregulated. And I did something I haven't done in years. I checked his phone. So that was when it was like, oh my gosh, like I just wanted to see, I don't know. I don't, in my head, I was like, is there anyone else? Is this really going to work out? But he saw me do it, (laughs) which was good. And we talked through it and he gave me reassurance. Um, And yeah, I mean, at any time it's come up, we've just worked through it. The other time was when I decided I needed to be in Montana to be near my family. And essentially he gave up his job, his community, his house in Florida and moved to Montana with me. And I just was having these like feelings of like, oh my gosh, once again, a big commitment, et cetera. Um, But he's always given me reassurance and he actually gave me a promise ring that's a Montana um, stone. And part of that was just to say like, Hey, where you are is where my home is. And I made sure that this move was not just about me. It's also been a great career change for him. And he lived in Montana for 10 years before, and he wanted to do it for himself too, because I said to him, Hey, if you're doing this just for me, don't come. But we work through it and he's doing it for himself and for me Um, and probably the dogs. He doesn't want to lose the dogs. So that's so interesting with the with like the big commitments, because I think for me, I've never been in this situation, but I think for me, what would be really, really, really triggering for me is like having the discussion to do it like. But I feel like once they committed to it, I would be like head over heels. So I think it's interesting that that's more so. What do you think that is? Well, so I I actually have had disorganized attachment style. So I I I also have avoided attachment. So I think some of it for me was like, holy shit, this is it. Like we're really invested. Some of that like more like avoidant stuff coming up of like, oof. Am I going to lose my identity? You know, but he's so good at reassuring me and also just cheering me on. Like I just went to LA for like four days. He's like, I love that. Go have the best time. All the relationships in my past would have been texting me. Like, what are you doing? Who are you with? We have so much trust. I know I can like fully be myself and be with him. And it's just peaceful. So it's good. When are you going to have him on your podcast? <laughs> so he's pretty private. I've, I've asked him to come on. He's he's pretty private. He might, you know, I got to bribe him. Does he have a great interest in like what you're doing? Do you guys have like deep conversations about shit like this? Yes, he always actually had wanted to be a psychologist, but his family wanted him to be a lawyer. So even in when I knew him 10 years ago, he'd be so curious about like psych topics. Um, and that continues. Yeah. We're, we're always talking about psychology and attachment theory and he he's very emotionally intelligent. That's for sure. I don't think I could be with someone who wasn't, I just couldn't. Mm-hmm. And he's funny, Andrea. I need that in my life. I'm like so serious. 
I need people like you, like him, who are just like funny, you know, like I, I need that. So he, he balances me out. Yeah. That's like top of my list is like, I need somebody to make me laugh. And I need somebody who thinks I'm the funniest fucking person ever. <laughs> I want somebody who thinks I'm really funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we always have this thing where, cause he's hilarious. Like he probably could have done like stand up. you know, I, I don't know. He's really good at, I always try to make jokes that I'll be like, was that a good one? Like, I won't be asking it. Like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> yeah. So I was just binging your podcast. Ooh. And I also asked my listeners for questions, but let me just look to see. Can I shout you out real quick? I just have to say, you do so much for your community in your episodes and like, there is nothing like your show out there. I I know your audience knows this, but I am just so proud of, I mean, everything you're doing, it's just amazing. I really appreciate it. Just a little, little shout out Love there. Um, There's a lot of episodes. I'm at like 319 now. It's nuts. I've been doing it for a while. Um, okay. We'll circle back to the questions at the end. Um, okay. So I was listening to the, um, the dating series that you just did. Oh yeah. And I want to talk about, I want to dive into the, um, to the one that you did with like dating apps and like what were some, kind of some of those, the key points that, um, that you said there. Here's what I know. People put way too much time and energy into the dating apps. I want you to just think of it as an opportunity creation tool. That's my favorite way to think of it. It's just another way to meet people. Another way to go into a trauma response, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Just another way to meet people. Go into an emotional flashback. (laughs) You want to, you want to just be completely open to meeting people and realize that, Hey, you do get to be discerning with who you give your emotional investment to. And the dating apps are not a relationship creation tool. They're not for building relationships. They're simply for, okay, here's this opportunity. I get to decide, is this someone I want to emotionally invest in or not? What I see happen too often is people are just spending so much time on the apps. They're trying to build relationships on the apps. They're talking to people for weeks or months. Oh my gosh. And you don't even know if that person deserves your emotional investment. So have the quick phone call, have the coffee date. Like I like what you said about that. You said your expectation would be generally speaking um, to, to meet within one week of matching. Right. Yeah. And you know, and I said this on the episode, I think like there's caveats if someone has like a family illness or something, but let's be real. Like if someone is actually ready and they're emotionally available and they want to put some effort in, they can have a phone call at least, or a FaceTime or a coffee date within a week. That's not asking too much. What about for the ladies out there? How, how do they, you know, they don't want to be taking the lead, but how do you navigate like pushing for that phone call or that FaceTime? So 
I think there's lots of different ways you could say this, but it's all about open, honest, direct communication. Just off the top of my head, I think you would say something like, hey, I've been enjoying this conversation so far. I know that both of our time is valuable. In order to make sure that we're not wasting our time, why don't we just hop on a quick call and see if there's some chemistry here? Like that. Like that. Um, okay. Tips for what you should include in your profile. Yeah. So you want to have pictures where we can see your eyes, <laughs> you know, and pictures where hopefully it's just you and we can see your face and you're smiling. It's, I know I shouldn't have to say this, but I mean, you, you know how the profiles are like, sometimes you don't even know what someone looks like. You could look through all their pictures and not even really know what they look like. So we want that. And then I think it's important to be honest about what you want, but not in like a super serious job interview kind of way. How about in an open, playful, honest way? The example that I've given people is what I used to have in my old dating profile, um, which is, hey, I'm seeking my big spoon, my travel adventure partner, my grocery store co-captain, um, someone that I could really build a great relationship with, like something like that, where I'm communicating what I, what I really want. Um, and I'm being upfront about it. Do and you then think that's important to explicitly say something like that versus like on some of the profiles where you can check like what you're looking for, like relationship, marriage, do you think it's good to spell it out in addition? Mm, I personally do. Huh? I personally do. I want to hear kind of from your voice, what, what it is that, that you're looking for. Um, and I think it's also good to say what, like, if you have some core values that are really important to you, like family travel, you know, um, if you're into fishing, maybe you get to put one fish picture up, <laughs> not all of them. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like we, we want to just know a little bit about you. Like what's really important to you in your life. What, what do you value? Here's what people love to do. They love to be the cool girl, right? You want to just like, see like you have it all together. You're mysterious. Like actually, no, let's be a little bit vulnerable. Let's share a little bit about who we are. Like we want to be attracting people who are meant for us and we can only do that if we're open about who we really are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's say like you had a dating profile right now, what would you put as your job? Ooh, I would put, that's a good question. What, what, what would I put? I might just say psychologist. Um, or I might say, um, I don't know what I say. Relationship expert. That's an interesting thing. You probably get this. Like, when you are sort of in the field of relationships and you're dating, get ready for all the questions from people. They're like, who are you analyzing me right now? So honestly, when I was dating, I would, I would keep it more broad. I would just say a psychologist and I would work up to the fact that, by the way, I'm a relationship expert who studies attachment theory and I'm going to know what your attachment style is by the third date. Like, you know what I mean? Like I would hold off on that. Yeah. So I have like podcast host and producer. And so whenever they like, if they ask, Oh, what's your podcast about? 
Um, a few times I've said like, like I could tell you the name of it, but you'd know every single thing there is to know about me. <laughs> I've done that. Yeah. It's like I'm torn, right? Because I think I'm at the point now where like, if you just Google Andrea podcast, like I think I come up. So it's like, I have like, I feel, I have like mixed issues about it. Because part of me is like, you know, being more mysterious, but then, and, you know, and not giving someone, that part's hard for me as far as like, you know, having someone like earn the right to like get to know these things about you. But like for me personally, that doesn't resonate with me. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. there's kind of like a part of me that's like, okay, like take it slow, be mysterious. But then there's another part of me that's like, this is like who the fuck I am. And like, if they know this up front and they're into it, then that's great. You know, so it's kind of hard to, to figure it out. I think I do believe that it helps our nervous system if we pace our vulnerability. Mm -hmm. So you are someone though, who, I mean, you're very comfortable with, with being vulnerable, which is not the norm. So, so some of it is, I think it's about, <laughs> sorry, you're, so, you're, you're unique, Andrea. I don't know if you do that yet. I'm just telling you. <laughs> okay. So like for most people, it's going to like dysregulate your nervous system to be so, so vulnerable really quickly. Right. Um, and I think there's something to be said for you to even experiment with that of letting people earn your, your vulnerability. And I always tell people, you get to tell your story, how you want to tell it. You get to tell details of your life when you want to tell them. You may not talk about your past relationships until you're three months in, like you get to pace things in a way that feels good to you and that you always want to take it through the filter. Does this help us build secure attachment? You know, what's also hard for me is I'm somebody like, I don't like fluff, right? Yeah. Like I don't like fluff. And I like deep connection. Um, and so the challenge for me is like how to keep it um, fun and flirty in the first few dates, because like, I'm somebody that like naturally, like I just go there, you know, like that's just what, uh, what I jive with. So like that part can be, I'm, I, I haven't really been on any dates recently, but I've been trying to do that more like, but it's hard because I just want to go there. I mean, they do that with like yeah. the gas station, you know? Yeah. I think for you, it's almost like the mantra. And this could just be something to experiment with of like, hey, what would it feel like if I let this be a slow build? You know, just just to experiment with it. Um, you know what's funny is the other idea that came to my head here is like, what if you just did like a really intense activity together? What if you went like I don't know, skydiving or you like, you like bungee, bungee jumping or something because <laughs> whitewater rafting, I don't know. Like go, go see some alligators. Like I just think about like, cause you know, you, you do, you appreciate experience and deep connection and like just your average coffee shop date, like might not do it for you. So maybe you try like some deeper experiences and see if that kind of helps get that need met 
you can learn a lot about someone just by how they react to different things. You know, you don't necessarily need to know their whole life story in order to connect deeply. Another thing for me too, is like my sarcasm is like so important to me. And I, sometimes I feel like if somebody is not able to like pick up on that pretty quick, I just feel like, okay, I don't, I don't think so. Fair enough. You are who you are. Like, I mean, it could be like you give somebody an opportunity, you explain, and then you just see if they can pick it up. But obviously, yeah, if it's date number three or four and they're not getting it, then (laughs) it's probably not going to work out. Right. So I thought that what you said, is there a study that says that like with emotionally unavailability and people not looking, can you talk about that? Yeah. So there's research that correlates emotional unavailability with um, obstruction of your eyes, aka wearing sunglasses, um, not looking directly at the camera, not smiling. Um, So yeah, in those dating profile pics where the guy just has the sunglasses on or... Oh, my favorite is the the candid car selfie. Yeah. Oh, someone's just taking my picture while I'm driving, not looking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It can definitely point towards being emotionally unavailable if, if we don't have any images of like being able to see your eyes. The eyes are the window to the soul, and research supports that. Any other red flags to look for on profiles? Oh, I mean, this is pretty obvious, but believe them if they tell you they just want fun things yeah (laughs) if they're not looking for anything serious believe them don't take that as a challenge and then the last thing from that episode was you were talking about like having a routine like how long should you go on like when how often what what are your thoughts there I love this part. So, you know, the average person using the apps is doing so while they're watching trash TV and they're having their wine and their red hot Cheetos. And they're just like, this sucks. Like the energy is terrible. (laughs) Right. (laughs) What we want you to do instead is create an intentional routine where, okay, you're in the energy of, Hey, this is who I want to be in a relationship. I know I'm so worthy of love. So we're showing up intentionally and ideally it would kind of be like an exercise routine. It would be something that you can show up for at least four to five times a week and do it consistently over long periods of time, right? So not get on the dating apps for three hours and then swear them off for life. Like we want it to be consistent, sustainable. So for a lot of people, that's probably about 20 to 25 minutes you know, four to five times a week and you want to associate it with something fun. Maybe you get to have your special matcha latte while you do it, or you listen to, you know, music or like, just make it, make it fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> we'll try. <laughs> You're like, okay. <laughs> um, okay. So then let's talk about um, nervous system. I just had on a lady, a nervous system actually last week, but I think what you talked about in that episode was basically like coping skills, coping with when we are triggered as well as having new learning, new uh, ways of thinking and behaving. So can you break those down? 
Yes, I will say probably for a better <laughs> description of this, go to the the episode. But um, off the top of my head, I like how you're having to remind me what's on my podcast, by the way. Thank you. Um, off the top of my head, like it's it's so important when you're dating to be able to regulate your emotions because you're going to go through emotional ups and downs. And the way you respond to what's happening is everything, right? It's that that pause between um, how, how you're going to respond. So instead of reacting, responding intentionally, there's so many things that I like for this. One of, one of the things I love is practicing self-compassion. You've heard of this, using self-compassion exercises. Um, have you heard of the self-compassion break? So Dr. Kristen Neff out of UT Austin, she has so much self-compassion research and it's just this five minute practice that she developed where you just tune into yourself, you notice what you're feeling, you validate, 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 you speak to yourself as if you were speaking to a friend. And then I, I added on, ask yourself, what do I need in order to be supported and then you would have some kind of behavior follow-up that is supporting you in that moment. And basically we're doing inner child work here. We're learning how to show up as our ideal parent, give ourselves that response of validation because so many of us were chronically emotionally invalidated. So anytime we feel an emotion, we just want to shut it down or ignore it. So we have to kind of over-validate now, compensate for that, reparent, and then do a behavior that supports you, like whatever it is that you need to feel supported. So maybe you need to take a hot bath. Maybe you need to go for a walk. Maybe you need some heavy metal. Maybe you need to call a friend, whatever it is, hang out with your dog, you know, your cat, um, honor whatever behavior it is that you need. So I don't know if that's what I talked about in that episode, yeah, but that's yeah, absolutely. It was. Um, so what about, I posted this quote on Instagram, like recently about like when all you know is fight and flight, red flags and butterflies feel the same. <laughs> Facts. And, and so you were in another one of your episodes, you're talking about like reality checking Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, you are more so talking about it from the perspective of like, when we're going into some sort of like an emotional flashback and like having a, like a nervous system response. But then mm -hmm. the other, the other flip side of that too, is like, especially for my audience like listening, like we're so fucking good at uh, disregarding and ignoring red flags. So I don't, I wanted to see if you could talk about you know, this reality checking from the perspective of like what you talked about in the episode, but then as well on the other side of that, like when it comes to, uh, when red flags and butterflies feel the same. Got it. That's a really, really good question. I appreciate that. Yeah. So in order to be in reality, for those of us who have experienced relational trauma, we do have to take some extra steps to get there. And I think we can be pissed off about that, or we could just acknowledge it and learn the practices, right? So reality testing is not new. It comes from cognitive behavioral therapy. 
And all it is, is we're separating our emotional responses and our thoughts from the actual facts of what's happened. So in the scenario you're talking about, maybe you're dating someone and um, in your emotions, you're so into them. You really like them. You want to spend all your time with them and you have the butterflies, right? And you don't want to lose them. The, the thought could be, I never want to lose this person. I want to make this work no matter what. This is it. I run, don't have to- run for the hills. <laughs> <laughs> you're having the thoughts. I, don't, I can get off the dating apps. I want not to date anymore. Like, like you're having all these thoughts. And then let's do some reality testing, right? And we check in. And maybe when we look at the facts, it's, oh, you know, when we went on the date, he only talked about himself. He didn't ask me any questions about me. He wasn't curious about me, right? Maybe another fact is, gosh, when I look at our text message history, I'm always the one reaching out, right? The facts are that the last three out of four dates that you set up, you initiated, you planned, you put in the effort, um, Or maybe another fact is, oh gosh, when I asked him about his past relationships, he said all of them were crazy. So like when you slow down and you ask for the facts and and those are the facts that you're getting, you have to allow yourself to see that reality and adjust your relationship decision-making accordingly. And I think there's also like compassion in that too. It's not just like, that's the reality. There's then, then there's the compassion of, oh, but the narrative I had is that it was going to finally work out this time. Right. And then how do you show up with compassion for yourself as you're navigating that reality that you didn't want? Mm -hmm. So boundaries, I thought this was so interesting. This is actually in your episode with, um, on avoidant attachment, what I, which I would like to talk a little bit more about, because I feel like on this podcast, we've mostly talked about like anxious attachment style and not as much as avoidant, but so there was four signs that you, um, gave the one thing that you were talking about was boundaries, which I thought was so interesting and how, Mm -hmm. Uh, the difference, how both anxious and avoidant struggle with setting boundaries, but how they look different. Yeah. So definitely with, um, with anxious attachment, you are afraid to set boundaries, um, because you're afraid that like, you're going to be left. You're going to be abandoned if you stand up for yourself, right? Like that's basically at the core of it. Um, and then with avoidant attachment, you are afraid to set boundaries because, um, you feel like your partner is going to have a big reaction to it. And you also just don't know how to set boundaries. And you're kind of just afraid that you're going to mess it up. And it's just easier for you if you just pull away Uh from the partner than trying to like show up and have the conversation because basically with avoidant attachment, you believe you're really bad at relationships. So that kind of communication, you're just going to avoid at all costs. It's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. So growth edge for avoidantly attached folks is learning. I can set boundaries. I can learn how to do it well. And my partner can respect them. So 
I can learn to have my own space and have my relationship and that boundaries are really, really important for me to be comfortable with, right? Because then I can be close to you. I can have a relationship with you and I can hold on to my identity and have my own sense of independence as well. So yeah, that's why boundaries are a huge growth area for avoidantly attached folks. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then can you talk about what some of the other signs were? One was uh, related to career. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I love this because it's so common um, where people just say, and we're seeing this more and more with women too. This used to be predominantly kind of like male way of thinking, but it's a lot of women as well, where you have a belief and you say, I'm just focused on my career right now. I don't have time for a relationship. And the underlying belief is that, um, I can't have both or that a relationship is going to negatively impact my career. And essentially the truth, right. Is that actually you're afraid of being in a relationship because there's messy things there and there's things you don't understand. And your career is much more your comfort zone. You know, in your career, I work harder, I get a better result and you don't get that same equation in relationships. So you would much rather devote your time to your career. It's not that you don't have time for relationships. You just don't feel like you're good at them. So you'd rather put your time in your career. Mm-hmm. I hope I didn't make anyone cry with that, with that tough love, but that's, that's the truth. I, yeah. So this one guy that I dated, I think I referred to him as Mr. Looks good on paper. Um, but this was him. And so he, I, he's also like sober. He's an AA. It took me for fucking ever to get over the sky, like years. And, um, and yeah, that was him. So he was, uh, lived in New York and I was living in Florida at the time. And so, but he was like working down here. And, um, like when we were in town, when he was in town, it was like, we were in a relationship. And then when he wasn't here, I like never, ever, ever heard from him. And I was like too much of like a pussy at the time to like, I was so afraid of like running him off and like coming across as too into him and stuff. Um, and then he ghosted me. And then I ended up running into him in San Francisco a year and a half later, which was really random. I've reached out to him a couple of times, like since I started the podcast, because I really just want to like talk with him about it. I'm like, oh, have you gotten any help on this? You know? Mm. <laughs> it can be so hard when we see people like this because they are, they're usually so successful. They got a lot going on. Mm. And that's that's attractive. People are achieving a lot, you know. And we just kind of want to say like, look, I'm not going to take over your life. You could still have your career. Like that's kind of the reaction. And it can be so frustrating when they can't see that you would be a great addition. They don't have to have one or the other, you know? So yeah, I I hear you. I kind of just want to tell him about like how big of a fucking psycho I was when I was in a relationship. (laughs) Like he had no idea. <laughs> I was miserable for like six fucking months. <laughs> Ugh, that's the worst when you're just dealing with that all by yourself and your partner doesn't even know, right? It's like, that's enough right there for you to know that's not the right relationship for you, <laughs> right? Like if you're dealing with all the emotional labor of the relationship by yourself, yikes, like that's not, that's not right for you. 
I shared this message. I shared this story on Valentine's Day about him. Like he wasn't in town then. And then it was like around 10 30 a.m. And I got a text and it just said, Happy Valentine's Day. And that's all I got. And I was like, oh, he really likes me so much. Goodness. That's all I got. Happy Valentine's Day. Text. No call, no nothing. And I was like, wow, this guy really bends over backwards for me. <laughs> no. Talk about crumbs. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No more crumbs. No more crumbs. No more okay. crumbs. I wanted to talk about how attachment style affects other things than just romantic relationships. What are some areas that people, I mean, obviously I know it shows up in all relationships, but what would be something surprising or some something that people might not know is actually related to their insecure attachment style? Mm-hmm. I have two that come to mind, um, money and career. Yeah. So, <laughs> so with money, um, if I, if I'm anxiously attached to my money, I'm always worried that there's never going to be enough, that it's going to all go away at one moment. I have that belief of like, oh my gosh, um, if I get it, like I should probably spend it now because I don't know how long I'm going to have it. Mm-hmm. And if I'm avoidantly attached with money, um, I probably am just like, I don't even want to deal with this. And maybe I'm just kind of like saving my money. And I'm really believing that, um, it's just all going to work out and I'm, I'm not even going to look at it. Like I might not even know like what my bank account numbers are. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just not really engaged in my relationship with money, which has its own problems. Right. And, um, yeah, I think, And then I could just be spending and not knowing it. So that's an interesting one, like your relationship with money and finances and then work. If you think about work, like if you are securely attached to your job and you believe in your job and you love it and you love being close to the people you work with and you enjoy your career, you're so much more willing to take risks, right? Like secure attachment allows us to take risks and step into our highest and best selves if I'm anxiously attached to my job, I'm like worried that, you know, I'm going to get fired at any moment. I'm just going to stay small. I'm going to do my, my bare minimum, just try to get by. Right. And I'm so scared it could end at any moment. So I'm not really willing to take risks or speak up. I'm just kind of like getting through it. I'm not setting boundaries. I'm not asking for what I need at work. Um, it's a really, really painful way to be And then avoidantly attached, this is the one who's like fly under the radar, right? Like just show up, clock in, clock out. Um, And their belief is like, I don't really care about my job that much. It's just a paycheck. Like, you know, I'm just going to live for the weekends, whatever. And like not really ever really get close to your coworkers or even really enjoy your work and just kind of have it be part of your life. So, um, yeah, I love thinking about attachment styles in in other aspects because yeah they're everywhere for sure what about is there any like research on or correlations between um attachment styles and like substance abuse and addiction yeah what i know about the research that's coming to mind for me is just emotional unavailability and substance use 
Um, obviously when we're, when we're emotionally unavailable for a relationship, then we're going to be, I mean, I mean, if we're using substances, we're emotionally unavailable for a relationship. That's what I meant to say. So it's like, when you experience addiction, you're already in a relationship and it can be a very unhealthy relationship with whatever substance you have. And that just makes you emotionally unavailable for any kind of romantic relationship. So um, like some of the clients that I talk to, I, I know like they have been married for 20 years to an alcoholic and they're getting out of the relationship and they realize that their husband was avoidantly attached the entire time and emotionally unavailable. And the fact is because he had a relationship with alcohol, like he already had a relationship. So he couldn't be in a relationship with you. Um, so that's, that's kind of where my, my brain goes. So I know about emotional unavailability and an alcohol use. Um, but as far as research on attachment styles and substance, I, I haven't looked at anything. I don't know if there's anything out there. Could be a good study. Has there been any like recent, like big studies like that have come out related to attachment? Oh yeah. There's always, oh, there's always attachment theory research out there. It's, I I love something that you, that you find particularly fascinating. Um, One of my latest ones that I was really enjoying was research on ADHD and attachment. Yeah. Um, So a high correlation with a insecure attachment style, whether it's anxious or avoidant and uh, a learning disorder attention deficit. And it makes total sense because for both, whether it's um, attention deficit or an insecure attachment style, both of those, you had a parent that was not good at attunement Mm. that was not as engaged. So I, I just think that one, once you hear it, you're like, oh yeah, it makes sense. But I think that's great that they've kind of connected those things. And then it's like, oh my gosh, these poor people with attention deficit also have dysregulated attachment systems. So, so anyone who is attention deficit, I think should also be screened for a dysregulated attachment system because it's highly likely that you experience that as well mm-hmm. and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to disorganized attachment, because so many people listening right now, I think have disorganized when you talk about anxious, generally speaking, what people say is, okay, there was like a lack of like connection, like in childhood. And then avoidant is like, there's a lack of safety. And then I guess disorganized would be both. Is that how you would explain it? Um, yes. I, I also like, I, I like that definition. I also think that with disorganized attachment, it's someone who has had all these different strategies available to them. So they haven't had a consistent enough experience to develop strategies that are consistent. With disorganized attachment, essentially you just have, you didn't have stability. You you likely had relational trauma growing up. You might've had big T trauma growing up, right? And what happens is you have tried all kinds of strategies to try to get your needs for connection met. So, so your brain has both avoidant attachment strategies and anxious attachment strategies, just because of the trauma 
you're, you got more creative and you have more strategies available. So with disorganized attachment, it's that horrible feeling and confusion of like, I don't even know how I'm going to respond in any given scenario because my brain does have all these different strategies for connection. Does that, does that clarify my point? Mm-hmm. Okay. So is there a way that you could take a situation and like illustrate how a disorganized person would react to it or show up like versus anxious and avoidant? Or is yeah. it just that like, sometimes they kind of show up as anxious and sometimes they show up as avoidant? I'm so glad you asked this. So, cause there's so, so many people and I'm, a lot of people talk about attachment styles and they don't actually have all the knowledge and the research. So I, I feel like this gets missed a lot. So I'm so glad you're asking. So disorganized attachment is different than just having anxious or avoidant or having both. You can have both anxious and avoidant strategies and, and not, not be disorganized. Okay. So in order to meet criteria for a disorganized attachment style, there has to be a pendulum swing between anxious and avoidant behaviors where you are going between the two fairly quickly. Okay. So, and I could do an example on this, like classic, let's say you went on a great date. You're not hearing from the person anxious attachment. You're like sending the 17 text messages. You're really worked up. You really want to see this person. You're kind of freaking out. Right. Um, and then if I have disorganized attachment, I could have that response. And then let's say the next morning, or even maybe later that night, I book a flight to Cabo with my girlfriends and I'm like, F that dude, I'm out of here. So one minute I'm anxious, anxious, anxious. And then I pendulum swing to avoidant. So it's that I get close to you and then I go all the way away. Mm. Um, And this is sometimes also known as splitting, which I'm sure you've heard of of splitting. It can get confused for that where people are like all good. They're, They're on the pedestal or they're the lowest of the low and you want nothing to do with them. So you're, you're kind of like switching back and forth. Um, but yeah, that that's in more extreme cases where we'd probably see a borderline personality mm-hmm. disorder and diagnosis as well. Just in like a regular disorganized attachment, you would have that. I move forward, I move back and it pendulum swings quickly. Mm-hmm. I hope that made sense. It does. Is, that- Is there okay. any other um, misconceptions about disorganized attachment that you think people have? I think that people, um, people, a lot of people may not realize that they have it. And I think sometimes people think that they're all anxious attachment when they in fact do have disorganized attachment style and they probably just don't know what to look for. Um, so there's that. And then, yeah, I think this fact of like, I, you know, I, I know I mentioned, um, Sorry, I'm getting so excited. I don't get to nerd out on this stuff very much. I feel like we're going so deep. I'm like, okay, breathe. This is fun to talk about. Um, with with borderline personality disorder, right? 
people hear that label and they think that that's like who you're going to be for the rest of your life. And well, it's a person. People see that and like, they probably don't have that. And they probably just have complex trauma. <laughs> see, that's what I wanted to get to is like, sometimes people with the label of that, they actually just have a disorganized attachment style that's wrecking their relationships. So I would really encourage people to understand attachment theory before giving a, a BPD diagnosis. I want to go into, um, let me share my screen and we can look at okay. some of these questions that people ripped. Mm, okay. I like this. What is a reasonable timeline for a dating my, milestones, such as being exclusive, using the word love, meeting friends and family? Mm-hmm. So People always ask me this and I know they want an exact timeline. And here's the reality. It's so going to depend on you and your partner. And, and what I always want people to think about is, Hey, how, how do we build secure attachment? And what does it look like for us to be securely attached through these milestones and everyone's going to have different needs. So for me, I might need to hear, I love you within six months for me to feel securely attached. And maybe my partner needs to hear it within a year and we have differences, right? And then the beauty of the relationship is to communicate about that and understand one another's needs and kind of come up with a timeline that helps us both feel securely attached. Right. Um, I don't know about you. Have you ever dated someone who doesn't believe in saying I love you? No, because all of my relationships like blew up in like a couple months. So. Okay. <laughs> I, I dated not one, not two, but three people, Andrea, who just did not believe in saying I love you. And it was like emotionally unavailable people. Right. Like and they like said that to you. Like they were like, oh, yeah. One person I dated for three years off and on, he never said it until the day I broke up with him. Of course. So someone like me, I have some trauma around saying, I love you. <laughs> I'm sure other people can relate. So I have different needs about that. So basically to answer this question, I know it's not what you want to hear. It depends. You have to tune into what each other need. You have to have those define the relationship talks. And do what you can to create secure attachment for both partners. So show up like adults, communicate about it, and create a connection that feels good for both people. Mm -hmm. um, some of these are so specific. Let's see. Uh, I mean, okay. So, like, I do think that this is important to address. Like, people seem to think, because I think on that are like you're screwed if you got disorganized and that's not true no 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 yeah I mean I'm an example of that of you know I definitely met criteria for disorganized attachment and have moved towards secure it certainly took me time and work but it's absolutely possible mm -hmm. um and what would you say I think a large part of that is like is addressing the trauma component yeah, I believe in, and this is, you know, I have a program, as you know, and mm -hmm. um, the program is really built on being able to release your past. So trauma, understand your past, um, 
really deep belief work, beliefs about yourself, beliefs about relationships, being able to rewire your brain um, and learning how do you show up as a securely attached person and how, how can you create that securely attached identity for yourself and learning how to show up that way? So, you know, that's, that's what I get to teach people to do. It's so rewarding for me because it's life-changing. Mm. Okay. What about this? This will be the last one. Um, where was it? Oh, how, uh, where did it go? Oh, this one. How do I know? How do I know when to express my authentic feelings for someone and my desire to be exclusive without seeming anxious? Yes. So this is really important to think about in terms of it's normal to have those feelings. You want to validate yourself. What I always tell people is make sure that you move yourself to as securely attached as possible before having these conversations. Mm -hmm. So it's maybe it's doing some of that self-compassion work we talked about or the reality testing, but you want to ask yourself, like, how would the securely attached version of me show up? And when we're communicating, we want to say like, Hey, how can I communicate in a way that my partner can hear me and understand me? Mm -hmm. Right. And Um, So I think it's the balance with that, with also knowing that your feelings are valid. You need to be with someone that when you express what you want, they're curious, they want to know, they want to have the define the relationship conversations, right? Um, So it's, it's that balance of move yourself to secure attachment, but also be with a partner that wants to create secure attachment with you. Okay. Um, Okay. So tell us about your book. (laughs) Yes, the book. So love magnet, get off the dating roller coaster and attract the love you deserve. Um, This book has so many valuable things about attachment theory and healing and rewiring your brain for healthy dating. Um, And it's, it's experiential. I know Andrea gave you a copy and like, you're not just reading it. There's exercises, there's homework, there's things to do inside the book. So If you want to rewire your brain for secure attachment, check it out. It's available on Amazon and it's not the lesbian love story. There's a love magnet, lesbian love story. (laughs) This is the love magnet self-help dating book. It's so funny. (laughs) I realized that after the book came out. Oops. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll have you back. We love you. I love, I love our conversations. Thank you for all that you do, Andrea. You're the best. Well, that wraps up today's episode. As always, I know you heard something that could help you on your own journey. As always, if you didn't, seek help immediately. And damn the join Patreon. Soon to be damn the join shit show. Uh, thanks again to Miss Morgan go check out all of her shit in the show notes. Um, sorry, I couldn't get to everyone's questions. There was like a lot of them. I have, I've got some good interviews coming up in the next, um, week or so. I'm finally going to interview the woman that I sat next to on the airplane. If you heard me share that story, she's a trauma uh, therapist. Her name is Corey. And then I'm also interviewing Patrick Tehan. Is that how you pronounce his last name? I better make sure before I do it. 
Um, and oh, and I'm also interviewing um, a therapist that fellow shit show Aaron. I guess she's like a hypnotist on Friday too. So that'll be good. So some goodies coming your way as always. If there's people that you want me to interview, reach out and feel free to reach out to me again because I'm super fucking unorganized when it comes to that stuff. On that note, guys, I'm actually going to get ADHD assessment tomorrow. So I think I've come to, you guys know I've been sharing all about my procrastination and, and primarily my phone addiction. And this is something that I've been talking about with my therapist for a long time. And I remember she made a comment to me a couple years ago about like, hey, maybe reach out to a psychiatrist and, uh, you know, maybe see about some sort of like assessment that they could do. And I kind of blew it off because I honestly just chalked it up to be like more shit that needed to be healed, just more unresolved trauma Uh, more like limiting beliefs that needed to be resolved versus there being an actual uh, biological problem going on here. But I've, I've, in the past few months, I've really come to terms with the fact that like, yes, some of this is like trauma related, but also too, there is definitely something biological going on here. And whether it's um, ADHD or not, my phone has fucked up my brain and I would like to have that not be the case. <laughs> I'd rather have that not be the case. Um, but yeah, I guess it's just, I, I never have had an, I never had an issue with studying growing up um, in school or in college or in like when I studied for the CPA exam, like there was never an issue with focus. And I just think over the years, as I've continued to use a smartphone, um, and I think use playing games again, so embarrassing to talk about my candy crush addiction, um, as a way to like dissociate and check out at times. And it's true. I mean, they really do design these things to fuck your brain up. And um, I've just noticed like some other little things is like constantly uh, misplacing things and like walking into rooms and not remembering like why I walked in there. And so I was like, okay, let's, let's check this out. The other thing too, is I had a consultation on Monday with a somatic experiencing therapist. So I think that I want that to be kind of the next, well, I guess I should first see what comes up in this assessment, but, um, I want to take that to the next level with, um, with a somatic experiencing, because I do think that I know how important the somatic piece of this healing is. And, I think as I've shared, like, I don't feel disconnected from my body, but I don't feel particularly connected to it. And yeah, I've also shared that I haven't cried a whole lot. So I know that there's a bunch of tears in there that need to come up. So just trucking along on my healing journey, still very much a shit show. Uh, So that is it. I love you all so much. Thanks for being my peeps, especially you people who listen all the way to the end. 
I just, again, I try to tell my Patreon peeps this all the time, but thank you so much for your support and your, um, your unconditional love and acceptance of me. And you really keep me going when I feel discouraged. So I will see you next week for another fucking amazing episode of Adult Child. It's going to be super raw, super raw. Super excited for you out here. It's going to be a good day. I promise. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.